Welcome to Craft Community, the local Irish beer podcast, brought to you by the independent craft brewers of Ireland and Board Bia. I'm your host, Susan Boyle, international beer judge and award-winning beer writer. And today we're delving into the joys of food pairing and beer matching, and also having a really interesting chat about beer styles along the way. Joining us on this episode is Claire Dalton from Dungarvan Brewing Company, Peter Curtin and Brigitte Hayden Curtin, who are with us from the Roadside Tavern, and Kulan Naknan from Whitefield Brewery. It's brilliant to have you all here. Our, our topic today is we're going to talk about um, beer styles and food and beer and food. Um, so I suppose to get I suppose to get the conversation started. There's a couple of interesting people. It's not by accident that you've all been put together, really. I suppose, um, and I really think that one of the people that we have here is we've someone with particular knowledge in this. We've got a, a, an actual beer sommelier, Claire Dalton, who's sitting opposite me here. So um, a little bit about that, I suppose, about what a beer sommelier is. Um, what you do, what the thought behind it. I know there's a hard exam involved in this. <laughs> there, yeah, there's a lot of assessment in exam, but basically, I mean, in a very basic nutshell, it's the matching, the pairing of, of food and beer together. But along with that is learning all the beer styles, all the beer, the flavours and, you know, being flavour trained and enough flavours and all that kind of thing. So I suppose that's what led me towards it was initially wanting to learn more about beer and educate myself and all of that. And through a progression of different courses and assessments and things like that had led me towards working towards the sommelier assessment, which brings together all of that, all those elements, and as well as that, the matching and the matching together of food and beer. And do you think that um, from your point of view in Dungarvan Brewing Company that beer and food is something um, that excites general the general public? I'd like to think so. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the, that's the hope. Uh, certainly from, from day one, we were always, I suppose, we aligned ourselves with the food manufacturers, with the food producers. You know, we were, you know, we considered, considered ourselves a small food producer. We were going to the food festivals, we were meeting the other producers and all of that. So we were always hand in hand and tied in with, um, from the get-go, restaurants were a big part of our market and, you know, we we did a lot of work with different chefs and, and restaurant owners and things like that in the putting together and the pairing of we love seeing chefs using our beers as ingredients as well as matching. So, you know, there's the use of as well as the matching. Um, so we always kind of put ourselves in that camp, I suppose. This is what we are. This is where we are. And, you know, we're small businesses. We're small producers, the same as, as if it's you're smoking salmon or you're making chutney or whatever, you know, and it's all about that. So it was a lot of the flavour training for myself and the learning this, the styles and things like that, which brought me down that route, I suppose. Yeah, I think um, to link in with um, Brigitte, um, who is here with us today as well, um, that combination, you know this really closely, the combination of beer and food, Brigitte and Peter, um, how those two things can work really nicely together. Absolutely. And we we are, you know, very small set up with the brewery. And um, as a result, we only we don't have to distribute anywhere else. But you have to come to the roadside tavern to t- taste the Burren Brewery uh, different beers. And we do experiences. So where we do combine uh, the two flavors of the smoked salmon, and people can try the four beers that we have at hand. But of course, the black stout goes extremely well with the smoked salmon. But you know that's up to. I mean, taste is. Um, individual so we leave it up to people to decide which one they would prefer with the smoked salmon 
But we we have this experience for two hours. They meet the makers. They go in behind the scenes. So they go down to the smokehouse first and meet me, and I tell our story and da 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 da. You know, the three years of business, and now we started, and then we go up to Peter, and in the in the roadside tavern, and do the check. Depending on the size of the group, if it's a small group, they can go and visit the uh, brewery, and then get the tasting and smoked salmon salad with it. So you know that kind of. We do an experience with that. But we've, we've been working, you know, in, in different festivals. I've been in working with the smoked salmon and other things than beer, you know, the, recently even at the electric picnic. So, you know, that food and beverage pairing is really interesting. I was lucky enough to be at uh, Brigitte's uh, smoked salmon pairing at electric picnic and it was Utterly cracking. The idea of having lots of people in a room tasting the same product, but with different drinks. Um, and it really brought home to me the idea that what Claire, I suppose, is picking up on the idea that beer is an agricultural product and a food product. And if we don't think about it that way, we miss out on a whole part of that story. And I know from Kulan, one of my first interactions with your beers was in 750 ml bottles, the large bottles that are wine sized bottles. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that always drove me mad was going to food and wine tastings. It's like, you know, we're a country that makes beer, not wine. And it was just driving me insane. So to try and get people over this hump, we actually put the beer into a much bigger bottle, kind of wine-sized bottle with a higher alcohol content, just to kind of get the image of people to, oh, this looks a little bit different and the alcohol is a little bit stronger. And, and to get people into that frame of mind to thinking, you know, there was a guy called Garrett Oliver. He was um, the head brewmaster with um, Brooklyn Brewery in New York and he wrote a fantastic book about all the pairings that he could do and he actually said that he would beat any wine sommelier on a food pairing with beer anytime because beer has such a wider variety and it's much more easier to identify its particular flavours with ordinary common people. Wine can be a little bit, you know, once you get up the ladder a little bit, it gets very sophisticated and not a lot of people can pick out those kind of unique flavours. But in beer, it's much easier to do. And for a country that produces great beer, you know, as that food and wine thing still drives me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We have to switch people. So I'm glad you're at the forefront of keeping doing it. Um, I think that is interesting because um, sometimes... um, um, I think when people are learning about beer, they are genuinely surprised to find out that there's so many flavours. Yes, you have obviously your core ingredients, the water, the malt, the hops, the yeast, but each of those ingredients brings many more different flavours to the table. And then you, that's before we even start to think about adjuncts. And I know that you've been experimenting and brewing with some really interesting products recently. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that for me, like, you know, I'm not giving out about wine, but I do like I do like a wine, but I always love that lightness of it. And sometimes in the beer world, when you get up the alcohol content, you know, it, the beers can become very powerful, very strong. And after four or five sips, they can be a little bit tricky to, to drink more of them, you know. So I always wanted to keep the, the lightness in it. So I was trying to think, how would you do this? And when I was over in Japan there um, a couple of years ago at the Rugby World Cup, I came across sake, which I had never drunk in my life. I was actually ashamed that I hadn't. But <laughs> the best place in the world to yeah, discover it, though, exactly. actually in Japan. <laughs> but it gave me this kind of like, yeah, maybe we could use some rice, you know, and they grow a particular style of rice for the, for the sake. So we imported some uh, Japanese sake rice and we went about trying to you know use it in, in conjunction with making one of our beers so to get the alcohol content up we used about 30% sake rice use it in the mash and it gave it this beautiful kind of floral lightness that we were able to add to a wheat beer you know so we that's kept amazing. we kept the lightness and I think that's the kind of the challenge of the beer industry really in many respects with this is, is to is to make the beers a little bit more balanced a little bit lighter in flavor 
that they can in, be more enjoyed with food. You know, the wine industry has that absolutely nailed. So we have a little bit of work to do yet in the beer industry on that type of thing. But, you know, the variety of, of, of adjuncts that's out there, you know, is brilliant when it comes to food pairing because you have a huge selection of, of styles and stuff, you know. And it's finding people who can work alongside brewers and understand the skill and the craft that has always already gone into making those beers and then capitalising on top of that. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things we saw a number of years ago is like we work with four local food producers uh, like Coolini cheese have a beard have a cheese that they bring out called Ruby and they wash it in our red ale every single day amazing you know and then we, have, we work with Uno De Weyer over in Cashel the butcher's daughter instead of using water to make the sausages she makes these uh, she uses our old smoke porter you know and it, they go into Mikey Ryan's in Cashel there and they absolutely fly out the door amazing and we have Cross Oak Preserves who use three or four of our beers in their in making their chutneys and their preserves and we have Flory Purcell over in Nina who actually she discovered this. We had a load of beer left over during the pandemic. What do you do with it? So it, we turned it into vinegar with contrast down in, in care. And she took the vinegar. Instead of using white wine vinegar, she used beer vinegar to use it in a relishes. Amazing. Amazing. So simple things that, that, that food producers then begin to understand the value of beer as an ingredient, you know, which can lead into consumers understanding that, you know, maybe better off drinking a beer with some food rather than wine. Yeah, yeah. just changes people's yeah. minds. And I can see this really clearly with the work that you've done, Claire, in Dungarvan with the Food Festival, because the I've been at some of the most amazing beer dinners in the brewery, long table dinners and beer and food at the absolute heart of it. Yeah, a few personal ambitions <laughs> there. <laughs> um, yeah, one, one, I can't remember were you at that one or not, but one of the first ones anyway was like, I want to have a fine dining long table dinner amongst the fermenters. And, you know, we pulled that off. Um, that was fantastic. I, gosh, I can't remember what year it was now. Um, but following on from that, then we did another few. We did the, with Lily Ramirez, the Mexican yeah. night, and we did with Medse in Tremor, the Middle Eastern night and things like that. So, um, yeah, again, the thing of, you know, working with the people you know and all that and uh, the as many local producers, same as Cool and there and everything, bringing in as much local suppliers, local producers. It's like we're all in the same boat. We all work together. We see each other. We meet each other at the festivals mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So I'm always sort of running away from, will you do your standard yeah. <laughs> tour? And say, oh, can we do something different? You know, because I do them every week, like, you know, so um, especially, yeah, especially, I suppose, it's being our local festival and that, it's like, it's a great time. It's like, no, I want to do something different. I want to do something a, a bit. So like this year, then again, turned it around. Just like, no, we're not doing fine dining. I, I cleared out the warehouse side and like, it was a big open. We had a band playing, you know, total different. It's like, I want to do something we haven't done before, etc. But again, working with, we, we did um, at the Topaz Bar, actually, it was Lily again. And, you know, it's like, I don't want the standard. I don't want, what can we do that's different? <laughs> We've done beer and tortillas. What can we do? And I'm sure, Brigitte and Peter, you found that too, where you are in, in the gorgeous Burren, um, that uh, creating a place like the Roadside Tavern that can become, I suppose, a, a, a centre or focal point for beer and food or beer and community or community and food um, together seems quite central to the way that um, you guys have been working down there for a long time. Absolutely. Um, well, we, we have the, uh, the good fortune and the added advantage as well that, uh, as they say in America, we're right on the main drag just up the road from the Cliffs of Moher and uh, the single most visited uh, visitor place in the west of Ireland. But uh, I'd, li- I'd like to just uh, ask about the, the sommelier, the beer sommelier. It was my understanding that in general terms, beer had a distinct advantage over wine, and uh, it's a, is that 
that in effect beer cleanses the palate and wine does not. So I'm thinking uh, selfishly of, you know, sometimes when I get some really, really interesting food and uh, I, I take a forkful of the food and I taste the food and then I go and I have a sip of beer and I cleanse the palate so that I can re-engage and, and continuously re-engage over and over with the sensation of having something for the first time. And the other thing, though, that I'd like to see happening, uh, and I must give it a go, and maybe Kulon is a great man for experimenting, and that is what's known as freeze distilling. You know, I, I, I like the notion of the idea, particularly with those uh, stronger beers that Kulon refer to, and, and in particular, uh, say, an imperial stout, where, where you would freeze distill it and incorporate it into dessert. So I think we could advance beer into the world of dessert if I might if I might try that throw that out to the to the folks. Yeah, we, we actually um, I'm not blowing my own trumpet here, anything, but we won the Food Writers Guild Award back in 2016 for um, the Drink Award. We won it for our large bottle of stout, and all the foods for that won those awards were given over to that Michelin star restaurant run by the French guy. I can't think of his name, Patrick Kibo. Kibo, oh, yes. yes. And he took our stout. Now he had free reign; he could do what he liked with it, and he could put it into any part of the meal. And he'd paired it with uh, chocolate dessert. So there you go, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> and I know Claire has done yeah. lots of dessert yeah. things with Stout and chocolate, kind of classic, or stout, vanilla. And again, <laughs> I'm like, can we not do stout and chocolate? Because <laughs> it's sort of the automatic now yeah. at this stage. So it's nice to play around as well. Like, you know, you can get like a big juicy IPA and pair it up with a, like a fruity mm-hmm. pavlovi type thing or something, you know. So again, it's, it's sort of... Maybe I make things hard for myself, but, you know, try to move away from But Yeah, your stout and chocolate is really, really classic, you know. And even often when I'm doing my tastings at the brewery and I finish with a stout and I'll just have a bar of dark chocolate and mm-hmm. break it open, you know. And I also find as well when doing tastings that like that, where I've done a range and get to the stout and a lot of people, oh, no, I'm grand now. I don't do it. Just taste it. I don't care if you don't like it. Well, you just taste it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, so first of all, people have a perception about stout. But then when you throw down some chocolate to have with it, suddenly it's a, it's a game changer for them, you know. So um, people, you know, haven't thought in that manner before. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of like great stuff that can be done as well with the... And even even like your red ales with your sort of this time of year food, the apple crumbly type, you know, Gorgeous. toasty kind of flavours and things like that, that can work really well as well. So Peter made a very valid point there, actually. And I often think restaurateurs are missing a bit of a trick there. And we worked at a restaurant in Galway one time and it was quite successful um, where they'd give a beer out at the end of the meal. Mm-hmm. But what that beer did was it actually encouraged people to buy a dessert because they didn't want the dessert because their, their mouth was full of flavour. They had yeah. their wine or whatever it was. Then they got a beer. And they go, actually, maybe I will have a dessert. So the restaurateur was able to actually get a little bit more, <laughs> extract a little few more pounds out of the customer by, by giving them a sample of beer to cleanse the palate because that's what it does really, really well. Yeah, and that's because of the CO2. Yes. Um, because we forget, it, like, sometimes that there's matching thing. I remember reading a while ago a whole article about beer and food ma- matching and at no point in the article did the writer mention Carbon dioxide and bubbles, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, sure, isn't that the love? One of the loveliest aspects. And of that's it. probably part of that's what I was thinking of as well when Peter was talking there. That's it's probably the well, an element anyway will be that mm-hmm. the the CO two the bubbles are cleaning yeah. your palate, which I know there's bubbles in some wine as yes, well. Yes, I, so I don't like to talk wine, directly, but, but not in, like you know we <laughs> can't like to make with everything. Um, <laughs> but also, what's interesting about that though is that it 
does lend itself to, I'm thinking specifically of you, um, Peter, with the use of the salmon, it lends itself to fatty things and it lends itself to oily things and it lends itself really nicely um, to dairy as well. So you have a lot of combinations that you can you can play with. Indeed, indeed. And uh, I should tell you by way of a short story, in the in the off season in the roadside tavern, I was uh, I pitched myself in a kind of a precarious way inside the pub because it was off season and I was just talking to the late Tom Droney and my good buddy Dave Bird, and the door opened and these folks walked in and uh, I was kind of somewhat compromised, like I was like a little fish in a box or something. <laughs> and by the time I rose up, the sons who were in their early thirties uh, passed me out. And I said, folks, what can I do for you? And they said, well, we're here for food and drink. And I said, well, at the moment, it's uh, quiet, so there's not a lot to, to offer. So uh, one of the lads anyway said, well, I have to be here anyway. He said, because I was doing my uh, my master's in beer tasting with the distance learning university, uh, Cicerone. This gentleman was from New Hampshire, and he was selling, uh, he was a marketing manager, and he was selling uh, craft beers into chains of Italian restaurants and he was about to finish his uh, practical and he disagreed with the tasting panel on the very last drink which was a stout and they said we're not giving you your masters and since you're going we know you're going to Ireland you must call into the roadside tavern and have a pint of Bar and Black Stout and of course my jaw dropped because I'm we're in, in another world in a different place and uh, he says well Cicerone considers the Burham Black Stout and the top 5 percentile of stout. So anyway, I filled up the pint and this was the end of the exam. And I said, well, now, you know, you're, you're now having the final part of your master's. What are you going to say? And he said, uh, his, his exact answer was, this is the continuum of the taste of stout. I says, man, you've passed your exam. <laughs> I said, I was in the pub. The first pint of stout I filled was out of the old quarter cask. I said, gravity flow, no refrigeration, no nothing. I said, it's unfiltered, unpasteurized. It's got all the B vitamins and loads of iron. I said, and it's the same uh, taste of a pint of stout that my grandfather would have filled you uh, around 1900. So uh, I was chuffed with that. That's an amazing good, story. Yeah. I think it's wonderful that you have this worldwide reputation from a brewery where you can't get your beer anywhere else except if you come and visit you. That that's being noted as a classic example of this style of beer. I suppose one of the things that, that we are here to talk about is is beer styles and how they can have, I suppose maybe as Claire was saying, some people can have it just stuck in their heads that maybe they don't like a certain style of beer because they've encountered some of it before. But I think what's very rich about the Irish craft beer industry is that people are making really interesting and really world-class versions of those beers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, if you go back to the history of Irish beer, I mean, you know, you go back to Guinness in the turn of the 18th, 19th century. You know, I mean, they had a portion of their stout was made from sour beer. It was nine month old and 18 month old. Oak age beer that was stored in, in many premises in Dublin you know, which they used to add to the beer that came off the line. You know, the whole idea of IPA, mm-hmm. you know, Indian pale ale, they're, they begin to believe now that that was actually a sour beer that went to India. Mm-hmm. You know, that it wasn't uh, as, as hoppy as, it, well, there it, it was hops in it, but it would have certainly a portion that would have soured over the, over the course of the journey, you know. So, I mean, again, they're all part of our culture, you know. There's a lovely word that you hit on there, Kulan, and that was the word culture. The idea of 
the culture that we talk about, which is the 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 combination of microbes that give rise to beer, and then what we see as our culture, our drinking culture, yeah. ourselves. And I think there's a lovely symbiosis between that notion. Yeah, actually, I mean, I I remember. Um, I don't know whether the man is still alive today or not. I know, but I've got uh, Edmund Burke. Edmund was um, chief microbiologist of Guinness for 47 or 48 years. And I remember giving him a sour beer at the RDS back 2014, 2015. And he rem- says to me that he, it took him back to his first tasting notes when he entered Guinness as a, as a young guy. Probably what happened with Ireland over the year was we lost our beer culture and we gained a drinking culture. And, you know, this is about trying to reverse that, you know, to bring back the, the culture of beer into the country as part of our food and our diet and our history and our conversation. You know, mm-hmm. so, yeah. I think this goes back to some of the conversations we've had before, Kulan, about why you became interested in beer and understanding that kind of beer culture in other places and why this links so strongly to the notion of, of beer and food needing to go hand in hand and not be these separate things because when they are separate then we do have a drinking culture and we don't have have a beer culture. Exactly I mean like you think of it like we grow some of the best barley in the world in Ireland we get the right amount of rain it doesn't take a lot of sunshine to dry barley the wind can dry it so we're very lucky here in that we can generally speaking get a really really good crop so we have the basic ingredient for making beer. So why wouldn't we make top quality beer? You know, it'd be like the French not being able to make wine because they grow the grapes. You know, it doesn't it doesn't go hand in hand. But, you know, the, the history of beer is like the history of whiskey. You know, it, it all consolidated down into a handful of companies in the 1980s, you know, and therefore our culture was completely, our, it completely disappeared. Yeah. You know, ended up in the hands of, of big business corporations. And now it's about trying to retake that through all small producers like ourselves, you know, trying to, trying to educate people about the fact that it's, it's more about having a drink at home with your meal and understanding what you're drinking is, is, is the key to the, the success of, of the beer culture in Ireland, you know. And when we think about the culture and where we sit as our little green island, I think we sit in a remarkable place because we have the opportunity to have the very best of influence from Europe and European beer culture. And then also looking at the huge inroads that have been made in North America to a new craft brewing industry there. So we sit in in that middle place between a culture that has never lost its history and a culture that regained it as well. So um, I think that's quite an interesting. Yeah. Well, when you consider that it was the, the Irish monks that brought the knowledge of brewing and distilling back from North Africa in the 5th and 6th centuries and then took that all across Europe. You mm-hmm. know, the Europeans might dispute that a little bit. <laughs> but, but monasteries were always the heart, the heart and soul of brewing yeah. all across Europe. And, and generally speaking, that came, they came from, you know, Irish monks spreading across Europe and setting up monasteries, you know. So, yeah, our, our culture is deep when it comes to beer, and very deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but historically... Uh, when we had 127 breweries scattered around Ireland, the most sought after uh, barley for malting was in the triangle between uh, uh, Kinvara, County Galway, uh, New Quay and, and Bell Harbour in County Clare because of the uptake of the minerals from the soil. And it may be the case that I think in malt houses need at least 60 tonnes before they can actually do a particular style or otherwise of uh, of barley for malting. It'd be nice to get down into the lower numbers and to to start getting more uh, local interest and sustainability in the barley growing, you know, 
that neighborhood that I refer to around there, they, they, they uh, have a history of growing the barley and they could grow organic barley and you could have the terroir, which would have an addition. And plus it would be more in the realms of, of the modern world of sustainability and, and create a, an extra interest. And as Kulang Lokman rightly said, you know, this is a temperate climate. I say to people when I talk to them about the beer, I mean, this is the best place in the world to grow uh, to grow barley. Yeah, well, we do currently do that at the moment. We, well, of course, we're lucky enough in that we would have the volume to do it. We contract a local farmer, Tim Connolly, every year, and he grows 45 acres of barley for us. And I mean, we, what we do is we agree a price with him at the start of the year so that he's happy. He can go out and make an actual profit on it. So whatever price he gets from the merchant, we top up that price for him every year. But then he has a real interest in growing a top quality crop, you know, which we then are able to get down to Minch Norton and they malt it, send it back to us all bagged. And then we're able to make all our beers from a local barley, you know. And that's about the farmer and the brewer working together to kind of share the, share the, the wealth a little bit, like so that the farmer's happy going away. Because if you don't have a happy farmer, you're never going to have a happy brewer. That's very if you don't true. have a happy brewer, you're not going to have a happy customer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, and that's, but at the moment, like, the best place for growing barley in Ireland is the Hookhead Peninsula. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. That's been kind of proven, like the, the wind blows across there and brings salt in from the sea and the, the mineral content of that. And of course, with the wind, they can always harvest at the right time. So, and it also like it looks different in the fields, which is amazing when you head down to Hook. Like, oh yeah, and, and you're nearly, but you're not far from us. Like going down, yeah. heading down that way. Um, but to just see it out there and see um, see what it looks like in the fields because it's been influenced by the wind that's wrapping around both yeah. sides of both I, sides of the peninsula. It's amazing. I've seen those fields of barley actually quite. With salt. Oh my goodness, good. Actually covered in, they were just snow white in, in the early morning. It was an incredible sight to see. You wouldn't believe it if you told somebody in the, in the malting barley industry that this was possible. They were like, no, but it is down there. It's just every now and then when the wind direction is right and the humidity is right, you'll get it in the, early in the morning. And it's just an absolutely incredible sight to see. And cool on, t- t- tell, us, uh, tell us more about the, uh, the smoke stout, because uh, obviously we have a smokehouse and... Uh, we can make stout. So, how do you how do you get the the smoke into the stout? It's like how do you get the fig into the fig rolls? I suppose the the reason we do it is because like if you look at the area that we come from, it's all surrounded by bog. Everything. So when any barley would have been dried a hundred years ago, it would have been turf that would have been used, and that turf would have created a certain amount of smoke that would have gotten onto the husks of the barley, that would have gotten into the beer. Now Guinness got around that by using Welsh coal, mm-hmm. so there was no flavour coming off the coal for the drying purposes. But down the country, so now it's very difficult for us to get smoked malt, so we have to import it at the moment from Germany. You know, you, uh, the peated malt is just way too strong for, for making a, a, a beer. So that's what we do. But that, that would stout then would be very traditional to the area that we live in, that the, 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 the beer would have had a hint of smoke in the background because that would have been a, pro- a natural process of the drying of, of the barley from the malting process. Yeah. I suppose, Claire, when I'm thinking about how we encourage people to think 
about pairing beers differently. Um, are there any, I know you were talking about like moving away from those classic pairings that we know work really well, like things like cheese and things like chocolate. Um, but what are the other maybe beer styles that you think work particularly well with other kind of food food types or in settings? Like, Well, look, there's, there's a few ways to do and whether it's beer or wine or whatever yeah. or, you know, just putting it food on a plate, you know, you, you, you sometimes you want to you want things that are similar flavour together. Sometimes you want to contrast them. You know, anytime I've been doing a, a beer and food pairing, I always say, this is what I put together. But this is a conversation here. You know, you can wholly disagree with me. That's totally yeah. fine. And, you know, I think somebody mentioned everybody's a different palate and different, you know, flavour experience and things like that. So it's just nice to play around. But yeah, you do have some classics and like stout and blue cheese, again, being another one. Um, but it can be nice to sort of, OK, we've done that a few times. Let's let's switch it up. Let's see what else we can do, you know. So, um, yeah, and that's that's I suppose that's what I meant. That's what I was referring to earlier. Is stout and chocolate is an absolute classic, but sometimes it's kind of, when you're putting a menu together and the chef goes, OK, and I've made a chocolate something for and we'll have yeah, it. So like, oh, can we do something different? So it's nice to just shake it up and change it up, I suppose I meant in that sense. But you touched on the cheese there and that's actually a really interesting one. And I think that's something I was going to jump in with a while ago. Is that, that lovely phrase, what goes, what grows together, goes together, you mm. know. So in Ireland, we make really good farmhouse cheeses and we make really good beers and they're natural accompaniments for each other. And even within that world, it isn't as simple as a beer goes with a cheese because there's so many varieties of cheese and this and, and flavor profiles and textures and everything. So, and the same with beers. So, like I mentioned, stout and blue cheese or your red ales and kind of nutty cheddar type things. But again, it's nice to play around and it's always and that's part of the fun of doing a tasting or doing a pairing or anything is the conversation and is the. Do you know what? I had this beer from the last course and I tried it with this and actually I love this or you know. So it, that's what that's what I always feel. This is a conversation and. Feel free to disagree with me. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and it is, this is what I put together, but this doesn't mean it's the perfect match or, or you know, this, this, you know, so there's different reasons and different ways and different whys you might do this or, or thought processes behind it. Um, so so that that's where I was going, I think, with that. I think it's fascinating because I do think that any time that I've been lucky enough to come to an event, um, a food and beer event that you've hosted in the brewery in Dungarvan um, or in other places, is that it's the surprise factor. Um, I might think I know what I'm going to expect, but even just with the, the you very casually mentioned so many different things. You're like fine dining, then we the guys from Meze, and then we like did Indian yeah. nights with with Lily Ramirez for it. And like, it's not like this pressure if you see Susan Boyle's <laughs> well, no, there is an element because obviously being in a in a town, you know, sometimes not just you, but you know, sometimes it's like, oh God, they have a lot of foodies down there, Claire, in your neck of but the woods. Sometimes you feel even doing a tour in the brewery, and if there's somebody who I know has been before, I can get very stressed of like, I don't want to give them the exact same experience, or That's you know, amazing. it's like yeah. so you kind of quickly, what can I do? Turn out my head, or just pull a different beer out? You know, mm. well, I normally do these four beers at, at my tour, but I, I need, I'm going to pull a few yeah. different things out here because I know you've been here before, or, or something like that. So, so you, you know, sometimes you're thinking on your feet, but yeah, you don't want to give people the same experience all the time either. And if you have a kind of core following <laughs> who comes to your gigs or whatever, it's like. I can't stand up and say the same thing over and over. I, in the same way, I can't present the same, you know, stout chocolate dessert yeah, or yeah. whatever it might be. So, so in that way, it kind of, you know, good for you as well, mentally sort of gymnastics to, you know, play around with things. But yeah, and then, yeah, like you said, looking at different ways. Well, maybe not everybody thinks immediately of 
doing a Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern feast in a brewery. Maybe it came about because we're friendly with the guys in Mezze, but it's like, you know, but I love your food. I love your beer. Let's do something together sort of thing, you know. So, um, but yeah, then you're looking at the, the flavours and what will work with what and what, you know, what would surprise people. You do like to have a little surprise element as well. Yeah. So, And also having a palette of beers that you can do that with. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the moment of the, of the beers that I've tasted um, from Dungarvan Brewing and I'm thinking of things like how you've opened up that category to people as well with with the addition of things like the non-alcohol beers and then also the gluten-free beers that you've done too. Yeah, so I suppose... First of all, you know, we started with three beers, as a lot of people in in the day did, <laughs> um, you know, with three different expressions. Now, those three are still part of our core range and they're still ones I actually use a lot in tasting. They're delicious. <laughs> but I do tend to open my tasting, but we're doing, generally four beers, we're doing four beers. They're all different flavour profiles. If you don't like one, that's grand because the next one might suit you and that. And it's always interesting for people, you know, watching people discovering like something like, you know, red ale might be quite off-putting to a lot of people, but I kind of say it's actually visually challenging, but more easy drinking mm. <laughs> um, sort of thing. So even things like that and just seeing people come in with certain perceptions. I know I had a really good conversation not too long ago with a guy who was in with a group and he just said, he's, I'm just not into these IPAs. I'm not into, I said, actually, we don't even make an IPA. <laughs> but, <laughs> You're but, in safe hands but here. But <laughs> IPA has kind of become the catch-all for craft beer for a lot of people. And, and so then he was drinking it and I think it was the red ale actually. He said, why do I like this? Like, why I thought I didn't like craft beers or IPAs or anything. So, you know, we had a really good conversation about that and everything. So it's just, you know, open your mind or, <laughs> as I say, just come to it without prejudice and just try each of them. Yeah. I, I often think of that, like with that, that example, like you, people say, oh, I, you know, I don't like fish. Fine. <laughs> but you don't say, I don't like food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you don't like fish as a food. It's, people say, I don't like beer. No, it's just you haven't had the right beer yet. Mm, yeah. And, you know, beers are relatively cheap. In, compared to good quality wines, you know. So if you don't like one style, try another yeah. style. And, I don't and accept. I don't like yeah. beer. Yeah. I'm like, you just yeah. haven't found, haven't the, right found the right beer. Give me yeah. twenty minutes. For you. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, couple of minutes, and we, we'll soon find twenty minutes for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's a brilliant challenge, Claire. It's like put anyone in front of Claire Dalton for twenty minutes, and she'll find you beer. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, getting people to explore and realise that beer has its place on the table. Um, as Kulan mentioned, um, just, yeah, bringing, bringing it back into the space where also what I think is lovely is that with the potential for beer and food matching is that often there's a feeling of the commitment to a bottle of wine or a type of wine. Well, when you're opening up with beers, you know, having different glasses of things throughout a meal is a really lovely, lovely way of experiencing it. And mm. even having like a few bottles or cans in the fridge and cracking open different things and just trying it with the same thing. So I think what I'm really thinking after all this conversation is that I really want to be opening um, a bottle or a couple of cans of something absolutely delicious and cracking on into that <laughs> with with some of the gorgeous burn smokehouse salmon and some 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 rind washed beer cheese and anything else that Claire can put on put on the menu as well. I think it'd be wonderful. We're, we're, we're coming. We're coming. Yes. Where, where, where is it? Where are we happening? We'll have to work it out. It can be later in the year. That's fine. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, we'll we'll have to we'll have to put something together. Or else you come to the burn. You can come to. We the come burn to the burn. We do it here. That'll be magic because we can't get your beers anywhere else. So I think we might just have to. <laughs> exactly, that's true. Yeah, we could bring a keg, but yeah, no, sure, we'll do it. We'll do it at our house. Okay. Super. I love the sound of that. 
To wrap up, I'm just going to say it was an absolute pleasure to have all of you talk about such a fantastic amount of food and ideas. And I love how the even just the concept of beer and food spurs so many more ideas for a celebration and for bringing people together. Because this is what we want to do. We want to unlock the potential for people to start trying new things. Um, and I think the thing that really rests with me throughout this whole conversation is that beer is food. Um, beer is better with food and food is better with beer, but that beer is food. So it's a delight to hear this insight from such a vibrant food community. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks. Thank Take you. care. On behalf of the independent craft brewers of Ireland and Borbia, thanks first of all to all our guests for joining us on this episode. And make sure you listen into our next episode, which is going to be about the sustainability aspects of brewing beer in Ireland. 